remain standing. All right, let's take our Bibles tonight. We're going to turn to the book. Well, turn to the book of Romans. The book of Romans. The book of Romans, chapter 1, is where we're going to be tonight. So the book of Romans and chapter 1. And while you are there, we're also going to um, read Genesis chapter 1. But uh, Romans chapter 1 is going to be the bulk of where we are going to be tonight. So, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Romans chapter 1, verse number 18. The Word of God says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. All right, we're going to deal tonight with the existence of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord God, again, thankful that, Lord, not only are you real and not only are you powerful, but, Lord God, that you use your power to extend your grace and your mercy. And, Father God, we thank you for the salvation that you have offered to us and the forgiveness of sins. Lord God, we are so thankful that you don't even delight in the death of the wicked. That, it, that Lord God, your will is that all should come to repentance and that no one would perish. Oh, Lord, we are so thankful for all that you've done for us. And Lord God, I pray now that you would bless this time together. I pray, Father God, that it would draw us closer to you. And now we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Perhaps you've seen this bumper sticker, the coexist bumper sticker. The graphic represents a movement with the goal to embrace tolerance for all belief systems. You know, the Bible says that we are to uh, do everything we can to get along with everyone. But it doesn't necessarily mean um, acknowledging false gods or false religions or false beliefs. Every symbol in this bumper sticker represents a religion or a philosophy. The C represents Islam with the crescent and star. O represents peace with the peace symbol. E represents the religion of science with the relativity equation as well as gender equality. X represents Judaism with the Star of David. And I represents paganism with the Wiccan symbol there. S represents Taoism via the Chinese yin yang. And T represents Christianity with the cross. So in tonight's study, we want to see that God exists, not just any God and not just the God that you make him, uh, but the God of the Bible. 
is the God that exists. If there is a God, it makes a difference. And if there is a God who has revealed himself to us through the Bible, we should look there to discover what he says about himself. This Bible claims to be the word of God. It claims to be the revelation of God. Now, a lot of people say, well, it's a good book, but it's not the word of God. If it's not the word of God, it's not a good book. It's a terrible book because it's a book full of lies and full of blasphemy. And so it either is what it claims to be, or it's the worst book that's ever been written. But of course, we believe that the Bible is the revelation of our God to, to, uh, to mankind. The Bible opens up with a declarative statement that assumes rather than proves that God exists. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. When you think of it, that's the natural way for a, a, for a book to open. No book begins with an author trying to prove his or her own existence. It is simply understood that the author exists. This is the grand assumption of Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1. God is the author. And by the way, not all authors write their books. They'll have other people write their books. But nonetheless, the author is the one who, who authorized it and is the originator of it. Now, God with his hand did not write the Bible, although there are parts he did write with his own hands, like the Ten Commandments. We know he wrote that with his own hands. But God used various writers throughout various ages, which is amazing when you consider that it all agrees, even though they, many of them were in different countries when they wrote their portions of the Bible, different ages, different times. And yet the Bible from Genesis to the book of Revelation points to Jesus Christ. It is an amazing thing. Um, and yet God establishes himself right at the beginning as the author and therefore does not go on to prove that he does exist. Romans chapter 1, however, God discloses a more developed defense for his existence, declaring how he has been manifested and revealed to all humanity in specific ways. The Bible teaches us that ours is a God of both love and righteousness. The Bible teaches us that he is not only a God of love, but also a God of justice, a God of righteousness. We see God's love as, as a prevailing theme throughout the Bible. Matter of fact, we sing that song, we learned that song when we were kids, or maybe once we were older, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And the Bible tells us so from the book of Genesis, again, all the way through the book of Revelation, it's one of the prevailing themes of the Bible, that God loves us. 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 16. We have known, John writes, we have known. I like how he puts that, that God didn't simply declare his love to his apostles, his disciples, to mankind. He didn't simply declare it. John says, we have known. In other words, we've experienced his love. We have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. 
And once again, John doesn't go about trying to prove the love of God. He says, well, anyone that's had anything to do with God at all, anyone that has studied him at all, or anyone, as John had the privilege of being with God in the flesh, he says, we've known his love, and therefore we also believe the testimony. This attribute of love, glorious though it is, does not stand alone. We know it's not the only attribute of God. Our loving God is also a righteous God, and his righteousness necessitates his wrath against all that stands in opposition to righteousness. And that's what we see on our first verse. Romans chapter 1, verse number 18, says that the wrath of God, not only the love of God, but the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. You know, I believe that is important because a lot of people want to accept God, but they want to make God in their image. Uh, However, God made us in his image. But people like to make God in their made-up image. God is love. I used to get into it all the, the time with relatives who would say, well, you know, I... I just don't think that God is a God of wrath. God's a God of love. Why can't you be both? We know that our God is God, uh, is both. As a matter of fact, I can tell you this. Growing up, my parents were both. They were parents of love, but they were also parents of wrath. When we did the wrong thing, uh, when we deserved punishment, uh, our parents' wrath was poured down upon us um, uh, several times growing up as kids. You can be both. And we know that God is both. He's a God of love. He's a God of wrath. This verse tells us that God's wrath is revealed because man resists God's truth. They hold the truth, the Bible says, but they want to deny his existence that they might not feel accountable for their actions. Perhaps they imagined that denying God would free them from accountability to him and responsibility on judgment day. But God's existence is independent of man's rejection of him. Um, This idea that if you believe it um, and if you believe it enough, it'll, it'll happen. It will come to pass Well, you can believe there's no God all you want, but it's not going to come to pass. There is a God. You can believe there's no son all you want, but it's not going to come to pass. There is uh, a son. And um, our rejection of God does not nullify who he is and what he is. All humanity is going to be judged. God has revealed himself to all All are without excuse, and that's how our our scripture concludes there, that they are without excuse. Verse number 20, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Things that we cannot see uh, about God, uh, we can see in his creation, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And so we are without excuse. This is why we send missionaries out. Because I hear, I've heard the argument before, well, if they've never heard, 
then they've never had the opportunity to reject. And, and therefore, how can they be held accountable? Well, because they live on the same planet that you and I live on. And God created this. And he created us in his image. And everything that we see around us reveals God to us. And that is why people in the remote parts of the world, before perhaps they were ever um, discovered, were worshiping something because they knew that there is something. Um, Even the simplest of minds looks at this planet, looks at the creation and says, man, whoever was responsible for this is powerful. There's a lot of things about God that are revealed by creation. Whether or not they recognize it, their worldview is informed by their, re- their rejection. And so when you look at the root problem of this God denial, you find many people who, like the humanists we saw in lesson one, think that they are good without God. And the truth of the matter is, you can't be good with, without God. Uh, there is no good if there is no God. Isn't it this quote by Albert Moeller? And by the way, when I quote people, it doesn't necessarily mean that um, I agree with everything that they say. I know last week someone questioned Lee Strobel, and, and um, he wrote a great book. I think everyone ought to read the book, The Case for Christ. However, I wouldn't go to his church. Um, so we're not going to be in agreement on everything. But that doesn't mean that they don't say some good things and that we, we, we can't quote them. Um, Albert Muller is actually the president of the um, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. We know that we've got some differences with them, but um, we also have a lot of things that we believe like them. But listen to his quote. Uh, he said, The decline of Christian identity is particularly pronounced among younger Americans. And fully one-third of those ages 35 and younger report no religious affiliation. And so one-third of those age 35 and younger. By the way, this is the most ever in the history of our nation. We are at a crossroads in our nation, which is why churches need to take a stand and not shrivel up with, uh, with the society in which we live. Now, while there are some who outright deny the existence of God... Others simply question and downplay his authority, especially his authority in their lives. They define themselves as secularists, which refers to the absence of God. And that's what, when we talk about a secular society, or we talk about secular music, or secular people, secularism, it means without God, the absence of of any binding theistic authority or belief. In reality, secularism is a mild way of labeling what amounts to practical atheism. You know, it's heartbreaking to see the rising trend of Americans who claim either atheism or agnosticism as their belief system. A study, a 2021 study, showed that not only is there a growing trend of unchurched adults, but of those who are unchurched, one in four is a skeptic and uh, oh, I'm sorry, one in four is a skeptic, an atheist, or an agnostic. One in four. You know, the same study showed that among young adults, that's the Gen, uh, Gen Z teens, 
They're much less likely to assert religious identity than generations before them. Some of the rise in atheism could be attributed to them growing up and becoming adults, and the fact that they are thus far significantly more likely than older generations to claim no faith at all. Additionally, faith sharing is falling out of favor with younger adults. Even religious ones uh, don't believe in sharing your faith. Um, they, and, and I've been lectured by some young people about sharing faith. Oh, you shouldn't be forcing your beliefs on people. Not forcing our beliefs on anyone. But I want to tell you something. They're trying to force their beliefs on us. This whole bill that Disney opposed down in Florida called the Don't Say Gay Bill, it was not a Don't Say Gay Bill. It was just a bill that said, you cannot teach our children. I believe it was from kindergarten to third grade. I think they should have upped it. But from kindergarten to third grade, you can't teach them about sex, period. Well, isn't that just common sense? Don't, do we want to rob our kids of their, uh, of their innocence by sticking them into a school that wants to cram um, sex down their throat? That's what you call forcing beliefs on people. And we are supposed to evangelize. That's the, that's the, the Great Commission, to evangelize the world, to teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. We believe that this is life and that it needs to be shared. But among young, um, the younger generation today, even the church, even those who claim to be uh, believers, uh, no faith sharing. We are responsible before God to make our own choice regarding our belief or our disbelief. But it's got to be put out there. So in our, our study tonight, we learned from Romans chapter 1, God has revealed himself to all and has given each of us a choice to either believe or reject his revelation. So I, I want to share three ways, three ways in which God has revealed himself. Three ways in which God has revealed himself. I kept you way too long last Wednesday night. We're probably not going to finish tonight because I'm not going to try. I'm going to try not to keep you so long uh, tonight. But three ways in which God has revealed himself. Number one, there is an inner revelation, an inner revelation. So now you can start filling out some of the blanks on your uh, paper there. God, full of love for his creation and passionate for fellowship with us, placed within each person a gift, and that is the revelation of himself. We call it a God consciousness. Remember that when God created the heaven and the earth and then created the animals and then created man. By the way, you need to understand man is not another animal. God created man differently. The Bible says that God breathed in the nostrils of man and man became a living soul. It's not, it does, that is not said about any other creature 
on this planet. So this whole idea of trying to bring man down to the level of all the other creatures on this planet, that's part of humanism, it's part of secularism, it's part of evolutionism, and, and, and all the other isms out there that are trying to do away with God. God created man in his likeness and in his image. And with that comes a God consciousness. With that comes an inner revelation. We see the inner revelation in two ways. First, there's the innate truth, capital A. There is a knowledge of God that is part of very nature or the very constitution of man. It's something we intrinsically know, something evident to us without being told. I can honestly remember as a kid, as a very young kid, knowing there was something out there, but not exactly knowing who, who it was or what it was. I can remember also as a kid asking my, asking my, uh, my mom as I got older, um, because you start hearing things about heaven and things of that nature and starting asking my mom questions and, and, and just knowing, you, you, knowing in your heart that there's, there's more, there's something out there. We were a secular family. Now, um, we were pretty much without religion up until my parents got saved and we started going to uh, a Bible-believing Baptist church. Man, I'm so thankful God... God uh, led us to a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, independent Baptist church. I'm so thankful for that because then you started to learn some things, some things that you knew you had questions about, but you just didn't know where to go to, the an go to for the answers. In Romans chapter 1, verse number 19, the Bible says, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. God created us with this, this, uh, this need to worship him, this need to have him. God built into man the knowledge of the existence of himself. Something within man knows there's a God. Whether or not he chooses to worship him, this means that to, to deny the existence of God is deliberate decision. You know... Um, we were talking to our missionary just yesterday. We were privileged to have Brother Kao with us at our coffee. And he gave us a little bit about his testimony because one of the men asked him, how did you come to Christ? And he talked about how even when he was in Cambodia, he would pray to God. He had never heard of God. He had never seen a Bible. But he just knew in his heart there was there was someone to pray to, and, and uh, he said, I can remember uh, on one or two occasions asking God, if you're there, uh, please reveal yourself to me. And of course, the way he revealed himself to him was someone when he moved to the United States of America, I think he said he was 18 years old, someone invited him to church, to an independent Baptist church, praise the Lord. He heard the gospel and he knew this is what he'd been looking for. This is what he'd been praying about. You know, the Bible says, seek and ye shall find. Ask and the door shall be opened to you. God has put in us this, this uh, knowledge of him. 
He wants us to seek that out. He wants us to be knocking on doors. I mean, figuratively, to find him. And he will reach out to us by way of a pastor, a lay person in the church, which, by the way, is why you and I ought to be sharing our faith, because people out there are seeking. People out there are looking. People out there are knocking. And they need a witness out there. So no one is born an atheist. You learn to become an atheist. Um, You are uh, proselytized by atheists. All around the world, people know there's some kind of God. Those who are now atheist or agnostic at some point of life decided toward these beliefs, whether that choice was intellectual. They had unanswered questions about God and concluded, well, he must not exist. Or emotional, maybe a tragedy that came into their life. And well, no God of love would ever allow this tragedy to happen, so there must not be a God. They didn't start out life with those beliefs. The knowledge of God is written in our hearts. And so there's that innate truth, but also, capital B, there's uh, a unique intellect. There's a unique intellect. And along, along with the innate truth, God has given mankind unique intellect. We don't have instincts like the animals. We have intellect. The mechanism through which we make choices. We have the ability to think, to reason. We hear all the time, well, dolphins are smarter than men. Um, then why is it that they need man to rescue them? Now, I understand that dolphins have been known on occasion to rescue people, but um, no, we haven't discovered any hospitals built down below or anything like that. Um, they are very instinctual animals, but we have intellect. Man has intellect, the ability to think, reason, decide things for ourselves. All these actions require our volition. And this is part of what, what it means to be made in the image of God. Genesis 1.26, and I shared this with you already. But Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make man in our image. By the way, there you have the triune God. One God, three persons. And all three were a, had a part in creation. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So let me just tell you right now, there was never a time when the dinosaurs ruled the earth. There was never a time when any other creature ruled the earth. God made man to rule the earth. And man has been ruling the earth uh, ever since. And at many times doing a very poor job of it, but ruling it nonetheless. So from the beginning, God created men with an intellect. The ability to decide, the ability to lead, the ability to organize In fact, the first responsibility God gave to Adam was to name all the animals that God had created. The animals didn't name Adam. (laughs) Adam named the animals. As a matter of fact, 
he had so much authority that the Bible says this, Genesis 2.19, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. No argument. Adam had so much authority that whatever the animal was called, they had no choice in the matter. That was their name. That was what they were called. This is more than mere intelligence. The intellect God has given mankind, it's unique from the rest of his creation in that it has morality attached to it. I always love uh, the argument that people give when they try to argue, say, for homosexuality and say, it's natural. Even nature does it. Even the animals do it. And I think to myself, do we really want to look to the animals for examples of how man ought to act? I mean, lions eat their young. Now, there have been times that might have been tempting, but never right. And we know that. God has given uh, man morality. We've got moral boundaries, natural moral boundaries. We have moral intellect, a knowledge of right and wrong. God gave us moral sense. You and I can reason things out and make value judgments about right or wrong, and that's the imprint of God's image on our souls. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. So this intellect is also means by which God has enabled to reject Him. Tragically, many choose to reject Him. Because, look, again, Romans one twenty one, Because that when they knew God. By the way, what is it that Jesus says we have to have if we want to enter the kingdom of heaven, if we want to get saved? We have to have the faith of what? A child. Because children believe in God. They have to be taught not to believe in God. Um, because that when they knew God... They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. Vain means to be literally to be empty or to uh, believe in things that don't exist. The literal meaning of the word vanity is to grasp air. When you grasp air, you have nothing in your hand. And that's what vain is, vain in their imaginations. Psalm 119, 113, I think we heard this one Sunday. I hate vain thoughts, the psalmist said. I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. So anything contrary to this is vanity. It's a vain thought. Any God that you believe in that does not match up with this is vain. It's vanity. It doesn't exist. And so they became vain in their imaginations. They started believing in things that did not exist, things that could not help them, things that were not gods at all. They became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. 
They began to bow down to creatures. They began to bow down to stone. They began to bow down to gold. They began to worship the sun and worship the birds. Vanity, things that are vain, things that cannot help you at all. As a matter of fact, God even jokes in his uh, in the Bible that some of them would worship these idols. And, and if these idols got knocked down, men had to go pick them up. Now, what kind of a God is that, that you have to pick up? We have a God that picks us up. We have a, we have a God that, uh, that helps us, that answers our prayers. The devastating thing to know uh, God and yet reject even his existence But we're able to do so because God has created us with the ability to choose. I gave that long lesson here not too long ago on why God put the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. Because that was God's free will. That was God's ability, or I'm sorry, that was man's free will. That was man's ability to choose. And what a Romans chapter 1 describes what happened there in the Garden of Eden. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. No, instead of saying, yeah, we get to eat of all the trees in the garden. Satan got, got them to focus on the one they couldn't eat. And so no longer were they thankful for all the trees they could eat. They were now bitter because of the one tree they couldn't eat. And they focused on that one tree. And their foolish heart was darkened. They became vain in their imaginations. They ate of the tree. And then they found out it wasn't all that it was, that it was uh, cooked up to be. What a devastating thing to know. God and reject his existence, but we're able to do so. You can't complain, I'm, I'm sorry, you can't explain man's sense of right and wrong, good and evil, without concluding that a being who is perfect gave us such knowledge, gave us the intellect. Otherwise, how is it that in every society around the world, people have a sense within them of right and wrong? That sense may be molded, and in some cases twisted or silenced, but, they're, uh, but it, it's there. Their environment may change, or as I said, twist what is right or what is wrong, but they still have a moral code, they still have a moral standard. Even societies or people that have no biblical law still have some kind of a moral system. Romans chapter 2, verse number 14 Paul explains, when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things that are contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. The problem for atheists is that if they admit the existence of evil, they must also admit the existence of good. But who can objectively say what is good or what is evil? Only the reality of God can explain this. This problem for atheists is severe enough that some actually do deny the reality of evil. 
Um, and if you ask some, they will say, well, evil is relative. As a matter of fact, I remember hearing one evolutionist or humanist was being uh, interviewed by a, uh, by a Christian. And, and one of the things that the Christian asked him was, well, by your definition, there's no God, therefore there is more, no moral code. So if the entire world believed what uh, Hitler believed at the time of the Holocaust then what he did wouldn't have actually been wrong just as long as that's what everybody believed. And and he said, that's absolutely correct. Which is a scary thing when morality is something you can vote on. And, And sadly, even in churches, it's come to this point. But Richard Dawkins, a well-known atheist, said this. He said, the universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. That's the world he lives in. It's tragic. But that's uh, that's the world evolutionists live in. We're an accident. Is it any wonder that the further and further away that we get from God, and you saw those statistics, the more we become a secular society, the more problems we have with mental health, the more problems we have with depression, the more problems we have with kids wanting wanting to commit suicide. I mean, we can blame it on the pandemic, but really what it is, it's the secular society in which we live. In giving us moral intellect, God has also given us a free will with a choice to accept or reject the knowledge of himself. Each rejection of God and of truth leads to another and another. So we reject this part and we reject this truth. We reject this absolute, uh, culminating in an empty, lonely existence where the only deity is self. And if self is all that there is, then who do you turn to? Is it any wonder that the politicians can get away with lie after lie after lie and yet people will continue to run to them because they have no God? Even Dr. Fauci, who got caught in lie after lie after lie, and yet we keep running back to him. Why? Because we have no God. And because that people have that need, that innate need, that desire. And so we, uh, we need a God. Not only is there that innate truth, but there's also a moral purpose. You know, within this unique intellect that God has given to us, there's a moral purpose, a reason for living. God gives us the reason in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse number 13. It's not in your notes. But it says this in Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the matter. Remember, the book Ecclesiastes is all about a man who's living for himself. He was a man who knew God. He started out being a worshiper of God. But then we know that somewhere along the process 
he began serving himself. And so in the book of Ecclesiastes, he talks about serving myself, uh, going after riches, going after fun, going after this. And because Solomon was the wealthiest man on earth, he could go after whatever he wanted to. But his conclusion was always this. Man, I wanted to be a champion, and I found out that was a vanity of vanities. He said, I wanted to be, the, be, be wealthy, and I found out that was vanity of vanities. So I buried myself in my work, and I became a, a workaholic. And then I discovered vanity of vanities. All is vanity. And then he talks about how after doing all that, you, you, you end up getting old and, and uh, de- um, depreciating and becoming well, corrupt and and everything else. And so at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, he looks at the young person and says, serve God in your youth. Start today and do it the rest of your life. And here's his conclusion, Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the matter. What are we created for? What is our purpose? He says, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. It's the only thing that will fulfill you, because it's what we were created for. It's what we were designed for. And if I do not fear God and keep his commandments and make him my whole duty, my life is vain. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Romans chapter 1 describes how when men stop glorifying and thanking God, it eventually leads to a life without purpose. They may claim to be wise, but ultimately they're fools. Romans chapter 1 verse 22. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and creeping things. You know, at the time of the writing of this scripture, the ancient Greek world fashioned and worshipped numerous gods, including the likenesses of animals formed out of stone. These were all evidences of uh, of the Greeks' rejection of the true God. They turned objects into gods and claimed wisdom, but God declared them fools. And now we look back and say, my, how foolish. Even the secularist looks back at the Greeks and yeah, they they had a lot of, brought a lot of good things into the world, but how foolish their vain imagination. God has given us the intellectual ability to understand There's a greater purpose in life than living for self as a fool. We've been given an inward revelation of God inside our very being. And so we didn't really need Ecclesiastes to tell us what the duty of man was, but just to make sure that we didn't get it, Solomon wrote it. And then he went on in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse number 14. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. 
The understanding that God has placed his knowledge in the heart of every man should give those of us who know the Lord courage to speak up, knowing every heart has a curiosity about God. And there are those out there who have not rejected God and are still seeking. There's people out there who are still praying. Lord God, if you're out there, show me. And who knows, but it may not be you that God brings into their pathway to show them who God really is. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. With every head bowed and with every eye closed. Every heart has a curiosity about God and an emptiness without God. We know what can fill that emptiness. Not because we're anything special, but because we sought one day and God found us. And thank the Lord, He did. Which is why it's so important that we not only give to missions so we can send missionaries to other places like Cambodia. But we need to be witnesses here in our own hometown. In our